Autobots, transform! <laughs> Not you, Bumblebee. Welcome back to more and less than meets the eye. This is a Transformers podcast where we alternate between the critically panned live action movies and the critically acclaimed more than meets the eye comic books. This is episode 10. We have reached the end of the road of the series as it's originally titled more than meets the eye issues 45 to 55 volumes 9 and 10. At the end of this the book will end and it will come back with a new name but that is for two weeks' time. For today, though, my name is Matt Waters, and I am joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, are you ready for the end? I am ready for the end. It's almost like we planned it. Two weeks in a row, end of Michael Bay, end of More Than Meets the Eye. Mm -hmm. Whatever shall these franchises do (laughs) as they retool themselves into something different. And actually interesting counterpoints in terms of (laughs) how to soft reboot a franchise midway through a run. Go out with a bang and go out with a fizzle kind of going on. <laughs> yes, we, we had the absolute fucking lunacy that was the last night that broke my brain a little bit. And here we have, I would say, a pretty good ending. Some scattershot stuff, good stuff, in Volume 9. And then Volume 10 is just pure finale. Just five straight issues of... Six. Six straight issues. F- 50 through 55. Sorry, yes. Six straight issues of action and finality and threading a lot of needles, which I will touch on at the very end. We got a lot of stuff that is finally answered that has been dangling for a long time. Um, I actually think it's really impressive. It's hard to write an ending, and mm-hmm. the fact that Roberts is kind of saddled with having to write three of them over the course of the run, <laughs> and all of them work as like, yeah. yeah, like, you could end the book here. I don't think anyone would be disappointed if this was indeed the end. Almost everything is wrapped up. It obviously doesn't give a satisfying narrative or, like, emotional conclusion to a lot of the characters. It's all a bit kind of, not doom and gloomy, because obviously by the end of it, like, they're in a better place than they were in it kind of at the end of issue 50 but both the um kind of issue 20 yeah issue 21 remain in the light and and issue 55 here both could be endings of shows like that they do feel like that classic television model of like yeah i'm mad that we didn't get everything tied up with a bow but also there is a there's thematic weight and an actual conclusion to most of what is going on and everything else would be yeah. kind of like a cherry on the cake yeah mostly ending on a high note not just like a full-on cliffhanger and we will just simply never find out what happens next but yeah we'll get to what's kind of still left over at the end until then we must return to (laughs) a point that ben didn't really notice until we were doing this our good friends the scavengers have not been in this fucking book (laughs) you may recall way 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 back in episode Two of the podcast, one of the comic side of it. We spent two issues with a group of idiot Decepticons, complete failures, who post-war have banded together, they call themselves the Scavengers, and they just kind of get up to very low-stakes antics. They did make at least one very brief cameo that we may not have even mentioned out loud. They get like a page here and there where it's kind of like... Things are happening across the universe, and normally one of the things is the scavengers, but they haven't had a story since issues 7 and 8. And here we are, issues 45 and 46, all the way later, we have this two-issue scavengers story, and I love to see the scavengers back, but to have gone so long without them, to have not managed to pepper them in 
throughout more than has happened feels like a misstep. Even if, as I say, I love them. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, I couldn't help but think of whether or not this book would be benefiting from a more rigid structure to Mm -hmm. itself. Like, I'm thinking more of, like, I know you probably haven't read this, but there was a Vertigo book in the late 2010s called, or not the late 2010s, in the late 2000s called The Unwritten, which was Mike Carey and drawn by Peter Gross, who are probably most well-known for their work that they did on the Lucifer comic series A Span Out of Sandman, which obviously became the basis for the TV show and, and blah, 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 all these different things. But yeah, they did this Vertigo book called The Unwritten, where kind of every sixth issue in the book, so issue six, issue 12, issue eight, 18, issue 24, they would spin away from the kind of the main cast of the book and do a side story that kind of you couldn't you didn't really know where it was leading to but it was like a really nice self-contained story Mm. and that feels like the kind of thing that maybe would have benefited this book if kind of every sort of 10 on one off kind of thing yeah, exactly maybe. exactly and even then like you see things like i'm not saying like the saga kind of structure would have benefited mm-hmm. this because obviously that is like every six issues is a story and then we come away and then come back but it's all overarching but like something a bit tighter in terms yeah. of like a narrative conceit like, but that might just be my personal preference in terms of reading western comics and stuff like that and kind of ignoring how freeform a lot of these things would be but it definitely would have allowed them to scatter in the scavengers more than they were because it's like yeah. yes there are four issues of the scavengers in kind of the first 46 issues of the book but would it be better served if they were four one shots that kind of took place at issue 10 issue 20 issue 30 and issue 40 yeah. as opposed to at the polar opposites essentially of <laughs> it's of been this, it's this been almost 40 issues since they got a meaningful appearance yeah. but they are back but, but, and their first page back is a banger because yeah. we are treated to a montage of previously on moments of the scavengers think simpsons fake clip show think community fake clip show where like we have not seen any of these moments before they're all made up but they're kind of the adventures they've been getting up to since we last saw them highlights among them i mean the biggest one has to be the the, it's a photograph of real world toys stood on grass of i mean the whole team don't have toys but four of them (laughs) sitting there with comic book speech bubbles but it's a fan photograph that was kindly donated or maybe the guy was paid some money i don't know yeah the guy who runs the tf square one blog so and he mm-hmm. owned the original toys for kind of like a lot of these ones because i think all of these scavengers apart from fulcrum is the only one who isn't based on a toy because fulcrum right. is a bomb yes. <laughs> essentially <laughs> but the rest are all stood there and they're like hey i know how it happened how do we make it unhappen and it um... is a shame there isn't a grimlock there but <laughs> it is they're playing jenga for the fate of the universe they are stuck singing everything they say they are turned into weird aliens there's stuff like what part of conjugate the verb do you not understand you know it's just <laughs> silly bullshit and and it where have they been you know like like it's fun to play with it but like i wish they had actually been there the whole time yeah um, I, I feel like would some of roberts's more off the wall story elements being benefited from being with right. the scavengers rather than with the cast of the lost light like the charisma um, parasites and and some of these things that were just kind of a in and out yeah maybe it fits better with the comedy group he did always want them like they were right right from the start he divided up his his wish list of characters and then his like actual breakdown of characters into Autobots and Decepticons. And you've commented there are like barely any Decepticons on the crew. It was literally like the DJD, Overlord, Scorpionok, and the Scavengers. That was his list, and he always wanted them there. 
and his intention was they would eventually join the crew, which may still happen. <laughs> but it's just <laughs> it's just interesting that they were seeded in there right from the start of his planning, and then it feels like he got so sidetracked with other really good stories that they've kind of smash cut back. <laughs> My memory of the scavengers, or mm. as there's the one panel in this book, which I believe the mispronunciation is supposed to be the scavengers. <laughs> Am I reading that right? I don't. Like, they don't put any inflection on it, but I do read it as the scavengers. I think that is a matter of debate, but I think it is scavengers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff and kind of like one shots and kind of like one to two issue stories that take place in and around more than meets the eye that are written by Roberts but are never collected in the main kind of like. 14 trades that make up the series like the christmas special like the christmas special well that one doesn't feature the scavengers but like i think aren't they in titan's return or am i oh like they're definitely (laughs) in what they're definitely in one of the books that they do maybe like post when they roll in the hasbro universe oh like revolution and and, yes yeah yeah all that shit yeah i think they are definitely in one of those so i think that's that's the thing is like he's finding his opportunities to pepper them in but because they're not in the main trade like especially but but from this point onwards i feel like because like, my memory is, oh yeah, we dipped into these guys kind of every ten issues, and I feel like that's only <laughs> only true from now on through the end. They almost. will be around more until the end of the book, and like you know, I just get you know they're going to end up on the Lost Light eventually. But <laughs> Chekhov's gun, Chekhov's Decepticons, and all the rest. But like you, you can't dangle this if these characters aren't going to meet the main cast at some point. Yeah. It, so their story here is basically Croc, their leader, wants them to get their shit together, and he sets up a meeting with a really wealthy Decepticon who offers to buy Grimlock for 2.5 billion Shanix, which is a lot of money. Why does he want them to get their act together? Because they've been doing fun shit like playing a game they call Shoot Shoot Bang Bang, which is just <laughs> Nerf guns. They have been watching a Decepticon stand-up comedian who does material about Megatron as an Autobot and the Infiltration Protocol, which you can probably speak on because you've read all of Transformers IDW. It feels like a very tongue-in-cheek jab at Simon Furman for never finishing the steps of the Infiltration Protocol. To like, be fair, that wasn't his fault. They took away the Infiltration <laughs> Protocol. In fact, like, Megatron's just like, I've got a six-step plan, but we're not yeah. doing the six-step plan for Earth. We're doing, we're jumping to, like, One, stage seven. One, two, six. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, they, they have Grimlock, as as we, we spoke about previously. They, they ended up taking pity and taking him in. Misfire has been trying to rehabilitate him, trying to make him coherent again. It's not going so great, because when trying to teach him to write his name, he does a very shaky G that looks like Matt Waters uh, wrote it. Yeah, ben has seen Matt's handwriting. Um, and then he pisses himself, much like Matt Waters when he has to write anything. Yeah, it's not going so great. And they have a vote on whether they should sell Grimlock to this guy or not. And it's two votes against selling him and three votes for sad face <laughs> however the sale doesn't go ahead because returning to the book again we're talking about like dropped threads fortress maximus remember him from when <laughs> they found him on delphi and he did a mini rampage and then he took rung hostage and then had to be talked down and then he fought overlord and then we haven't basically mentioned him ever since that is because he and red alert remember him <laughs> who came back to life in a text page which we did not mention yes. at all in this yeah uh, in a prose story um roberts every now and then throws in if he's got too much story then will fit in the comic he writes the rest as as like a few pages of just pure text and in one of these i believe immediately after um the quote-unquote season one finale he wrote fortress maximus and red alert 
out of the book. Red Alert taken out of, of storage and sent off to find a new role with Fortress Maximus, who is the new enforcer of the Tyrest Accord, taking over for Ultra Magnus. Even though Tyrest is dead, the job description is now basically just anyone who's trying to sell Cybertronian tech to other species is, is in trouble. And the guy who was trying to buy Grimlock has been selling Transformers who turn into animals, beast changers, if you will, forcibly convert, they call it domestication, they have been mutilated and converted into their beast modes and removed the ability to speak, removed the ability to transform, and I guess fucked with in some way that makes them behave a bit differently. And he sells them to organic races that hate the Transformers <laughs> as torture dolls, basically. They are packaged up like cutesy, cuddly animals, but yes, they are sold to people who want to torture Cybertronians, which is pretty fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a really cute panel of Fortress Maximus with all the cute little animals kind of like <laughs> hanging around him. It's a bit like Super Metroid when you like save the animals or, or kill the animals. Uh, yeah. Fortress Maximus decided to save the animals, but um, yeah. yeah, just a, a, like tossed off in these two issues is potentially the most <laughs> fucked up thing that has come into this entire book of a book and, full and of like very fucked up things. Super, super important to a giant mystery of the overall book. <laughs> So yeah, it really helps because it's like in this book you get to explain what this is and kind of like drive it home, and then when it becomes relevant to the cast of the Lost Light, it means you don't have to spend yeah. much time in what is like a heightened, quite pacey kind of like run of the book to yeah. to explain what this is. Obviously, there is kind of like a, a kind of a couple of paragraphs worth of text bubbles that kind of like do explain it in the gist of things but like definitely not to the same extent that happens in this issue yeah so fortress maximus busts into this potential deal initially trying to shut down this operation with the animals uh but then he's like oh you have grimlock grimlock was in the same prison as me and he ran away so i want to arrest him <laughs> so he goes after grimlock and then the scavengers are like all right and they they end up tricking Fortress Maximus into, like, saving the animals and letting them keep Grimlock. This is our confirmation, I've hinted at it before. Grimlock, in this continuity, used to be a Decepticon, once upon a time, and then converted to an Autobot. I like that in trying to call Fortress Maximus's bluff, Crankcase has a stare down with him, and he wins because he has facial paralysis. So it looks like he's just <laughs> steely, like, determined, but he actually can't move his face. And I also like that Spinister, who is our giant fucking idiot, were reminded that he's an idiot savant, because by looking at these forcibly transformed animals for, like, a few minutes, he's figured out how to fix them. So he leaves Fortress Maximus instructions on how to, like, put them all back. And that's the panel that Ben is talking about with, like, all of the animals <laughs> surrounding Fortress Maximus. And, uh, yeah, it helps Croc realise, hey, Hey, actually, maybe I just want to help people. And uh, yeah, the scavengers ostensibly just become this out and out hero team from here. And they, you know, they take Grimlock home, who manages a full sentence, but then won't repeat it. Like he he's perfectly eloquent for a second, like more so than he's ever been in continuity. And he's like, wait, what did you say? And he's like, mm. <laughs> and written on his I want to call it a room, but it's more of a cell. Like, they're kind of keeping him locked up because he rampages. He has written, prepare, confront, repel, and he has drawn a symbol that we saw in Skids' little prophecy on Luna 1, and then the audience saw it and nobody else did. I say audience, the readers. <laughs> on Luna 1 itself was this giant symbol. This symbol is going to become 
even more important in the final stretches of the book and we we saw it a little bit last time and, and they'll they'll discuss it more but in an epilogue to this story a couple of mysterious figures they arrive at the lab where all this like animal selling has been happening after all this has gone down and underneath it is a like another secret lab <laughs> full of like stasis tanks and these two talk about starting again and they work for somebody called the grand architect and this symbol is everywhere in these moments and we are left pondering what the fuck that means so yeah i mean it's a silly little caper but like it's fun to see the scavengers back even if yeah it feels a bit late yeah, no, it's 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 nice and good. Like it's got like good art from Alex Milne. Like I love like this. I feel like Joanna Lafuente has really got into her own in terms of the coloring of this book. Because obviously, I think we shouted her out like when she came aboard the series because she obviously took over kind of like midway through the run. But like, there's just noticeably like lots of fun colors in this issue. Like the panel where like they're all riding the horses across the desert and all the <laughs> all the kind of the beast bots and all the rest of it. And it's just like good good strong colors. And when I'm reading all of the Transformers books, it is really nice to have like these pops of colors when there are other books which are kind of drawn in a very grim dark fashion to kind of have this far lighter in tone but still serious book with kind of like just good art on a consistent basis yeah it's fully personal preference and like we've discussed this in the in the movie episodes where like just because i don't like it and you know if you like it that's cool but like i have never loved the live action designs because they are so devoid of color and i i love seeing these big pops of primary colors and blocky shapes in in a franchise where you're basing these off of toys and a way to make toys cheaper is to have them use the same molds as other toys (laughs) it's really helpful to have color distinction between different characters and sometimes the franchise kind of gets it wrong like there's a lot of red autobots and there's kind of a lot of gray purple decepticons Mm -hmm. but like when you get the right mix like you would never be able to get swerve and tailgate mixed up because they are like just different pops of primary color and stuff like that yes you might get getaway and brainstorm mixed up but (laughs) that is just kind of a probably a function of just how these toys were made and just they're they're from similar molds similar kind of point of views and i feel like they do enough that a lot of those kind of like because you could probably get like the toy chrome dome confused with those two as well Mm. but they've done enough to kind of like make that design distinct in the comic books and it's a shame that they haven't released a toy version officially of idw chrome dome and it's still just the legacy kind of like headmaster reprint that's this kind of washed out beigey color yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways and then you can deploy um, a couple of like really fucked up body shapes like cyclonus and whirl and they yes. really stand out from everyone else and speaking of which we are just gonna be ticking off some stuff we need to deal with before the finale so this is issue 47 the lopsided triangle i think this might be my favorite single issue it's one of the best single issues for sure yeah like really really good you you think of like the time gimmick issue and the the ones like this uh, and then yeah this one is a really solid self-contained story it probably yeah. has something over those in that it is entirely driven by character relationships and yeah. continuity um, yes while still like it, it, being a self-contained is... idea this is what you are clamoring for television to do <laughs> Yes, yeah, this is this is one hundred percent like this is paying off stuff that has been happening across kind of the last like ten, fifteen issues. It's paying off the character dynamics that has been done in kind of like single panel work all the way through. This is kind of the dream. This is how I think a lot of episodic media would, would be benefiting from. Obviously we love when 
you get like a long meaty arc. Like I'm not going to say that they should cut anything from issues 55 to 57, but like in terms of this is still an issue that I think of when I think about this book is the payoff to the the the... cover of this is one that you see circulated in the fandom a lot. It's one of, I have my desktop background. I just have like a hundred images that I like in a folder and my computer just cycles through them once an hour. And one of them is this front cover and it's, it's always a joy to see it pop up. It's this fantastic payoff to, to the quote unquote love triangle between getaway tailgate and cyclonus and boy what a payoff it is because it sets up so much other stuff as well in part by doing this yeah yeah again low stakes mischief in the foreground is actually something much larger in the background so as we've said since getaway came aboard his defining traits other than like hey he's tied to skids past but they're never going to talk again (laughs) is he doesn't like rodimus very much and he has been buttering up uh, tailgate quite a lot and cyclonus has been jealous and this is shown here with getaway explains to tailgate the four acts of a conjuncts and jura ceremony transformers marriage and and they are physical touch uh in a meaningful location by which i you know i mean a place not like on the body um <laughs> and they had been he had been teaching him to speak hand in a bar in low lighting uh, sharing intimate secrets and Getaway opens this issue by telling him about the circumstances of his birth. He is a made to order Transformer and he was dropped into a war zone very quickly and he was scared and he ran away and, and I, he says like that is why I'm called Getaway. So it's like an embarrassing story a lot of the time. The third act is gift giving and Tailgate is presented with boy this guy can't see a red flag coming. Um... <laughs> <laughs> he gives him a set of nemosurgery needles, as in the ones that Chrome Dome uses to inject people with. And he's like, oh yeah, you, you've always admired them and wanted a set, haven't you? He's like, no, but sure. And they are like a special set he's had made for him. And the fourth act is, so one one half of the potential couple does the first three, and then the other half of the couple shows reciprocation with the fourth one, which is proving your commitment with a spectacular act. We'll find out (laughs) what that is in a second. But in the meantime, Cyclonus confides in Whirl about his feelings for Tailgate. So he goes to his his once nemesis, mortal enemy, and is like, straight up, I love Tailgate. And Whirl laughs him out of the room, calls him a piece of shit, is like, of course Getaway is better than you. You are pathetic to come here with this problem. Yeah, Yeah, and and Cyclonus is like, if I went to anyone else, they would have been too scared to tell me the truth. They would have told me exactly what I wanted to hear, which is that I should go pursue Telgate or that like my feelings are valid and stuff like that. But I needed you to beat me the fuck down, essentially. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, and like he he himself says that Getaway tells Telgate what he wants to hear. I tell him what he needs to hear. So it's like he's living his own truth. Like he has sought someone else who will tell him the brutally honest truth, and he acknowledges, yeah, and it hurt. But thank you, basically. And you may be thinking, wow, Whirl has done some fucked up shit, such as almost killing Rewind. But that is one of the coldest things in the book. We learn. Whirl has been working with Getaway to try and kill or arrest Megatron. Or get Megatron killed or arrested. We said when he came aboard, not everyone is happy that Megatron is on the ship. Whirl 
tried to fight him way back in issue 28 and he was seen speaking to some unseen collaborators via a walkie-talkie that was getaway who has been yeah his backup plan after a while like trying to fight megatron was to send tailgate <laughs> under the premise of like hey prove your love to me take these nemosurgery needles and go and do shadow play on megatron <laughs> he says he has coated the needles in an anti-villain virus tailgate is a fucking idiot um <laughs> He's a baby. He He's is a baby. Like three months. I know, and that makes all this a little bit more fucked up. He's convinced him <laughs> sneak into Megatron's cell. The needles will do all the work. Pop those in his brain. Will destroy all evil in his brain, and everyone will thank you for this. Obviously, <laughs> not <laughs> a good exist. plan. Not a real thing. Not a real thing. World does start to have second thoughts about this plan, and he says he's never had second thoughts before. So. Getaway uses the nudge gun on him. You may remember Skids arrived in the book holding a gun, didn't know he was holding it, and it was later revealed that the two of them used thought bullets to place a, a, an, an idea in someone's head, and they were both given a nudge gun to wipe their own memories if they get caught. Skids's has kind of like gone missing or been broken or something, but Getaway still very much has his. He very much knows how to use it, and we learn that he had, well, this will come back up. So he uses the nudge gun on World to stop him from warning Cyclonus. However, he is able to get a message to Cyclonus just before his memory fades, and Cyclonus intervenes in Tailgate's imminent fucking murder by Megatron. <laughs> World first tries projecting his human avatar, which is, if you recall, that creepy like anime murder girl. And there's this incredible panel where it's like floating in space outside the window and it's all lit and like red and yeah. Yeah, so it's some nice like silent silent panels and stuff like that mm. where like there's very little dialogue and what there is is kind of fragmented and kind of like supposed to kind of disorientate you in the same way that like Whirl is showing up and like floating in the middle of a room or like attached to a wall rather than yeah. the floor because memory's fading out and all the rest of and it. he's like trying to um, find Cyclonus and the ship and stuff. Cyclonus, it's enough to make him run to his room and Whirl doesn't know what he's talking about but Whirl's room is full of clocks. Well, Whirl used to be a watchmaker. And every single one of them is set to 113 as the time. And Megatron's room number is 113. So Cyclonus sprints in, beats the fuck out of Megatron. <laughs> Nearly murders uh, Ravage as well, who, who like, Tailgate had been told, oh yeah, Ravage, you'll have a Ravage detector, so you don't need to worry about him. And Ravage is just wakes, is like, hey Megatron. And Megatron starts, like, crushing his skull in self-defense. Yeah, it's very, like... Suicide by cop isn't the right term because that is that's like deliberate, but I don't really know how to phrase it. But they were basically like I, trying to get Tailgate killed by Megatron so that others would kill Megatron. Yeah, that's basically what they would. Basically, the gist of it is yeah. let's have Megatron do something so heinous he basically kills an innocent that like no one can deny that this guy is evil at this point. Yeah. And Megatron has been trying to be very chill and, and pacifistic. We've seen when his life is threatened, he you know he punched someone, and Shadow Player is his biggest fear, so he acts in self-defense. Cyclonus, yeah, flies in, beats the shit out of him, rescues Tailgate, sprints away. While Tailgate and he are escaping, Tailgate comes to realize, arguably, 
he and Cyclonus have actually performed the four acts. And we, we see, like, they were holding hands while Terreo was thought to be dying in their room. He admitted how scared he was. He gifted Cyclonus a replacement horn. For about half the book, Cyclonus only had one horn, one had broken off, and, and Tailgate made him a makeshift new horn, which he wears. And Cyclonus, of course, nearly gave his life to save him. So he comes to realise, oh wait, actually. <laughs> and Cyclonus is set upon by security, and he lifts Tailgate up in an embrace, puts his back to all the gunfire, and says goodbye, little one as he is seemingly shot to death. But then Tailgate, like, erupts in, like, a huge blinding flash of light that engulfs the whole ship, and, like, that's... Goes Super Saiyan. Yeah, (laughs) that's, like, the end of the book. As we move into a two-issue story about skids, but, like, it's kind of a total afterthought in those issues, but just to immediately confirm, Cyclonus is alive, Tailgate is briefly in a coma, Magnus arrests Getaway, Megatron and Cyclonus apologise to each other, and, well, later on, Tailgate has superpowers. (laughs) I think we do need to talk about, though, what they do to get away, because, hey, mm. he is obviously known for being able to escape kind of like any situation, and to prevent him from doing that, you need to do, let's say, some fucked up things to kind of like keep him in place. They remove his hands, they remove his transformation cog, yeah. don't they? And they remove his mouth. And his feet. And his feet. <laughs> I mean, that, that feels like less bad than the other three, but yeah, he is kept locked up in a super fucked up way, so he can't escape. Oh, and, and you his know what? He's in like he, a tumbler, isn't it? Where like he can't he mm. can't move without his spark like being electrocuted is is what he says mm. like later on. Spoilers: He will like, get out of this situation. Yeah. And like if he wriggles too much, he gets electrocuted. And yeah, it's a super fucked up thing to do to him. Even if he was trying to kill a main character and frame Megatron. <laughs> and Tailgate now has like superhuman strength. I'd say superhuman, um, super transformer strength, which will come up here and there but these two issues uh, are less about them and more about skids this is called speak memory we are finally going to find out the missing piece of skids's past and why he can't get a certain tune out of his head he has been having therapy sessions with rung he knows that he spent time in the decepticon prison called grindcore it's just a super fucked up prison where decepticons put autobots they fit you with what they call a mouth flower <laughs> which is a thing that goes in, in the roof of your mouth and if you try and transform a spike goes up through your brain and immediately kills you and obviously they strip you of all your weapons skids immediately knows how to deactivate one because he saw one being built so thank you super learning and he like you know he's trying to not lead an escape but you know trying to improve conditions for his fellow autobots in grindcore all yeah, of his he's kind of very naive in terms of mm. like he he starts being super helpful towards his like kind of the the, the people warden. who run the prison the <laughs> warden uh the warden who of course turns out to be tarn yes as they reveal at the end of this issue but he is trying to be like helpful and like he's been locked up with quark hasn't yes, he? like brainstorms paramore um or would be paramore who isn't around in the present day for some reason um <laughs> This all makes you realise Skids is a big golden retriever himbo boy. Like, <laughs> he wants to help everyone, everyone likes him, but he's an idiot. I like that a lot of his his memories, his recovered memories here, you see, like, redacted names and stuff like that in the speech bubbles, which is a, a nice touch to, like, convey that there's, there's missing memories. His sessions are interrupted by the arrival of Rung's old rival, Freud. Who had appeared, like, very 
very briefly, yeah. kind of like 20, 30 issues ago at this point. I'm just going to say again, too late to deploy new villains, especially <laughs> when they're basically going to piece out of this. Freud dies within these two issues, and like the other one who we'll get to in a second, um, I think he does come back, but like, or maybe he doesn't. But anyway, like it, it's very late in the game to introduce new villains, in my opinion. It's, the, the new villain is an interesting kind of idea, purely because mm. they are an Autobot. The, the the new villain is basically it's a shame that chrome dome isn't around as much as he is yep. because this is basically a big old story about the dangers of nemosurgery essentially mm-hmm. yeah. what can go wrong when you get addicted to it yeah sunder is a nemosurgeon turned serial killer basically <laughs> and freud comes under the pretense of he wants patient notes from rung rung says no like, they have a bit of an argument, and then he's, like, escorting him back to his shuttle, and on his shuttle, it turns out, he has Sunder locked up, and he works with Sunder. He feeds him victims in exchange for his help with therapy, <laughs> because Sunder can read people. He can do nemosurgery without touching you. If he makes eye contact, he can read your mind. And Freud was having him unknowingly read his patients' minds, and then they would confer and, like, I mean... I guess he talks. I don't. I can't remember if he actually does in the in the issues. But Sunder, Sunder does. Like, there are words that he says. I think the big yeah. page of him with like the out any fucking eyes is yes. like yes. He's portrayed very much as a big fucking hulking monster man who wants to eat you all. He worships the god of death, Mortalus. He thinks he is a vessel for Mortalus, and yeah, Freud keeps him locked up. He keeps his eyes so that he can't do it to him, and he like only gives them back when he wants him to use them, kind of thing. They look fucking stupid here because they have they have guards posted on, on Freud's shuttle. The second Rung walks Freud back to the ship, they peace out. So Rung is just left alone with this fucking serial killer monster thing. It's a haunting design. There's some really great art of him, as you say, eyeless. But yeah, they look really fucking stupid just walking away from him. I mean, the thing is, they do come in and then they are the ones who get to demonstrate what exactly <laughs> Sunder's ability is, which is he can like terrify you so much that he forces you to like externalize your spark casing or i think he like like, makes them turn inside out into a little ball and they somehow survive this because he does it to like rodimus i think (laughs) so freud sets him loose is killed by him (laughs) like almost immediately Uh, he has a little rampage, ultimately Megatron um, and rung and tailgate take him down but yeah along the way Megatron kills the lights so that no one can make eye contact with him. Rung tries to distract him. His little collection of starships, it turns out they're remote control and they fly and he like tries to distract him. There's a whole bunch of bullshit where he's got like a partner that turns into a ship that is like, you have put a hat on a hat on a hat here. Megatron won't use a gun that is made available. He tries to reason with Sunder. And in the end, Tailgate throws the rod pod at him <laughs> because he's superhumanly strong now. He doesn't know how he did it. This is when we get the, the explanation of his superpowers. He's absorbed so much radiation over time between falling in the pit for six million years and then everyone on the ship has absorbed a lot of quantum radiation from the engines. Combine that with a traumatic episode and he gains... He basically becomes an outlier. He's super strong. Sunder had read skids along the way a little bit, and we're just kind of treat. It's a lot like Remain in the Light, where like we as readers get a little bit of extra information that Skids doesn't at this point. And 
basically Tarn tricked him <laughs> into fixing the teleporter in Grindcore, thinking that they would transport prisoners to better prisons. Instead, it's used to kill 50 Autobots at a time. Skids is made to watch. Tarn plays the song while he's doing it, thus he has it embedded in his brain, and Chrome Dome won't let him see this, because Chrome Dome injected him and saw all this, and was like, nope, I don't think you need to be seeing any of that. It's, it's super fucked up, because like the way he does it is, like, he, Skids fixes it, and he's like, oh, can I please, please get Quark to, like, come he's like, in Oh, yeah, here. let me reward you, you can be one of the first people. He's like, no, give my spot to Quark, get Quark out And he's it. like, oh, well, give it to both of you, and then, so... <laughs> Both Skids and Quark are walking into this thing, and then they teleport Skids out and make him watch on a monitor. Mm. And, like, again, it's one of those really fucked up panels where it just cuts to, like, this smelting pot of them all melting. And It is, it is very... I don't like saying this word. Auschwitzy. <laughs> like, a very... You're just going to the showers... And then they, it is they... definitely weaponizing the kind of the imagery of a totalitarian or authoritarian kind of like despot invoking kind of like massacres and stuff like that. Yeah. Like the Holocaust is obviously just the most famous one, but like mm. I've I've watched like seven or eight different movies of the last year of like just how many different countries <laughs> have done very similar different things. Yeah. Like I was watching a movie about the Srebrenica massacre, which took place in like the nineties and stuff like that. And again, it's the same kind of imagery of like people being led into an enclosed room and then mm-hmm. basically just unloading on them with guns and just it horrific that humanity mm-hmm. has come up with this idea independently so many different times to just massively wipe out people and that imagery is being used very effectively here even if it's i don't know, in some ways it's a cheat in in that way in terms of weaponizing the greatest moments of kind of like yeah. actual traumatic history for us but it is an effective way of showing just how cruel and lacking in empathy or lacking in any kind of ability to sympathize with with the autobots or the decepticons and like uh, you know coming from knowing that like tarn and the djd are the ultimate villains of the as we head into our final arc it is all like it's time for a showdown with tarn and the djd like he he was arguably briefly undermined when we last saw him and maybe taken down a peg or two to restore him to this like oh he's he's fucking like sub yeah it's, i can't say it's, subhuman because they're not human but you know he's a fucking no, scumbag like. but it's truly bizarre that the last time we saw him was like a panel of him going like and i couldn't look at them as they die and you're like no 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 <laughs> you you melted people you like, melted 50 different. at a time like and they they didn't and know where they were going. Music. Yeah, and you played your favorite piece of opera that like keeps coming up, and and Skids is haunted by. I don't know whether or not it was like a soft record on the behalf of Roberts, but like it truly mm. is something that does not get that, picked back up. That little aside with Tarn, the last time we saw him, it just feels so out of character. All of it. Quickly before we move on from these two issues, like it does feel like this issue is kind of let's fill in the blanks on Skids, but also finally give Rung something to do. Yes, um, Rung does and it, try to resign, and Megatron won't let him. And there's like hints about in the past Rung was too friendly with his patients, and that sounds like innuendo, but it's not. Like literally, he was he he was friends with his patients, and that's a no no, and things like that. Rung has been very much just tossed out for like comedy moments because he's yes. so meek. And this gives him and something of genuine pathos. And that's the thing, is that because he is about to become a lot more important to kind of the last 25 issues of the book, that yeah. this is the first time the book has 
ever really delved into him beyond him being a sounding board for other characters, really. But is that arguably on purpose? Um, <laughs> let us move into our finale, uh, Volume 10. The whole arc is called The Dying of the Light, which almost certainly is sort of mirroring the season one finale was Remain in the Light, and this is The Dying of the Light. We get a trick that Roberts has played several times already, where we kind of open in not the present. <laughs> yeah, um, we get we... an immediate stress opening, which is basically a recording of various crew members of the Lost Light basically giving out their will and testament of mm-hmm. like, this is where I want to be buried, this is where I want my body to be left. Mm-hmm. And they broadcast this message where it reaches like multiple characters from across the main book in the, the Windblade series. Just and... all the major like parties, really, like Optimus, Starscream, Scavengers, Fortress Maximus, Windblade, like they're all seeing these broadcast. And Optimus is like we need to send a crew out there to save these guys now. And then Jetfire, who is with Optimus, basically goes like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. This was sent three weeks ago. And they only had six hours to live when they sent the message. And then we cut to, like, good old heroic action with Team Rodimus kind of going out and saving the motherfucking day. (laughs) Yeah, Pimp Squad. Everything's going really well. Like, everyone is kind of getting on. Megatron is the man in the chair, just, like, giving, like, expert advice on strategic advice over radio. They've got, like, like, proper heavy hitters now, like, Thunderclash woke up in the last two-parter and is now, like, (laughs) teaming up with Ultra Magnus to, like, like, take on these guys. Whirl and Cyclonus are, like, this expert fighting force. Tailgate is suddenly, like, someone to be reckoned with. Like, like... Iron Fist's a fucking giant. (laughs) Like, he just just one-punch KOs this giant. They're so in sync that Megatron is allowed to say roll out and it's 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 almost like things are going too well we see more of his like genuinely engaging lectures about the knights of cybertron oh it's such a good couple of pages where like megatron is like having his shit in order and is like giving a speech about what exactly like what actually like mythology is and what what does this mean and kind of running through it all and then all the characters get to have their moment where they've deduced something and nightbeat is like wow i don't normally like working with a team but this is actually like really good yeah they're like they're discussing that symbol that i mentioned the mysterious symbol and what it could mean and each person's adding a different piece to the puzzle and their group thinking their way through this and they think it's a insignia for one of the the clans of the knights of cybertron and we see in a cutaway that that megatron talking to current ship doctor velocity uh, it says he's never been happier and he smiles and it's like almost creepy and i really like him giving his extensive feedback on their homework like you're showed a lot of promise not good but a lot of promise i'm really (laughs) impressed with you it's it's all really good stuff unfortunately Um, they all receive a psychic attack which makes them hear a personalized horrible message and megatron's makes him like attack ultra magnus he will confirm that he heard the screams of like all of his organic victims from throughout history and he never wants to hear it again tailgate hears cyclonus in pain rewind hears dominus ambus accuse him of giving up on trying to find him so it's all like the deepest insecurities and fears and stuff like that they trace the signal back to the necro world where the necrobot hangs out so team rodimus as we like to call them like basically the main cast take the rod pod in a bit of contrivance they have two teleport charges So one to get there, one to get back. They accidentally end up inside the planet, which is revealed to be completely hollow. 
so they have to spend their second charge getting to the surface of the planet, thus stranding them there temporarily. And why is that important? Well, they are immediately attacked by Tarn and his new combined army of the DJD and the Decepticons and Deathsaurus and all that. So they run and hide inside the Necrobot's fortress. They call the Lost Light for help, and Getaway has not only escaped from his captivity, he has led a mutiny of the Lost Light. And this is basically all the... let's call them the, you know, the lesser than, the background crew, the, the people who get maybe one line in the book that we haven't bothered really talking about ever. They have banded together, they call themselves the 1%, and they object to Megatron being on board. So, like, this is a majority thing. It's not like everyone's cool with Megatron except for a handful of people. Most people are not fucking cool with Megatron walking around the ship. So he leads a mutiny and he got them stranded on this planet and ostensibly called the DJD on them. It turns out that's not what happened, but it, it basically is. Yeah, it, it, but it is interesting because obviously the only character who betrays them who actually has any weight is Riptide, mm. who has been kind of a, even of the new additions to the cast, the least important out of all of them. Like yeah. Riptide hasn't had a story beyond being the person who discovered the ship that they were going to buy. And, and you and I have been talking between episodes about how like for this mutiny to really land it feels like it needed a member of the core group to betray them as well and it's like that is supposed to be Riptide's role he's the most notable one in there except for Getaway himself obviously and like yeah would it have hurt way more if it was like fucking skids or something yeah it would but I guess Roberts just couldn't land on a, on a person. When you list, because obviously this is basically the entire cast of the book, they basically reveal that over the course of kind of the last 20 issues, ever since they say it, the panel that we met referenced that Getaway has hated this Rodimus since he saw the Rod Pod. On top of like hating Megatron, I think from all of them, it's about Megatron. For Getaway, it's also, he fucking hates Rodimus. He thinks he's a vainglorious idiot, basically. Even though he's a vainglorious idiot, exactly. there is nothing <laughs> There is nothing about Getaway, which, I mean, obviously becomes the point of the character, but, like, truly, like, when we get to spend more time with him when we go into the Lost Light books, yes. it becomes very apparent that he is not qualified to lead them any more than, than no. Rodimus was at the beginning of the and books. And he has uh, At least Rodimus has held the Matrix at some point. Yeah, he has exceptional delusions of grandeur, and he just has a grudge against Rodimus. They're too similar, one could argue. Yeah. <laughs> Look at who they've got. It is Rodimus, it's Magnus, it's Megatron, Tailgate, Rewind, Chromedone, Rung, Swerve, Ten, Ravage, Cyclonus, Nightbeat, Skids, Brainstorm, Nautica, and Velocity have basically wound up in this situation. Whirl is there as well, who I yes. feel like Whirl is the one who, until two issues ago, would have been on the... Yeah, he was in on it, and he got second thoughts because of Cyclonus and, and Tailgate. Like, clearly, Cyclonus has kind of, in a warped way, become his best friend, basically, <laughs> and he couldn't go through with it. I don't know who you... Who of that list mm. conceivably could be the one who stays behind? Because, like... Swerve. It, it could be Swerve. Swerve like, objected it... loudly to Megatron, and Swerve does feel like he's been pushed aside. He's also the comedy character, and yeah. it kind of... Again, it doesn't have the same weight. It can't be Rodimus or Minimus, because obviously, like, all, all the characters who went back in time to help protect Megatron... Mm. That was their death death knell, essentially. Like they they cannot recover from that. Yeah. Anyone who did that, and like, we've seen them like, like 
they're all getting on with him more than they'd like to be. Like, Magnus and Megatron have a really good double act with stuff like... Megatron says this incredible line to him. So when did you first realise he deliberately uses grammar and spelling mistakes to distract you? And he says, he does what? <laughs> and it's just like, Mwah. Yeah, and like, yeah, you know, like even it, Rodimus is coming to be like, what do you think, Megatron? Kind of thing. And, and no, I think it's like, of who's left, it's like... Yeah. It, you can't be any of the original guys. Skids has too big a role to play on this planet that you can't get rid of him from the group. Brainstorm already noped out of killing Megatron, but is probably the closest, but you, that, you're just pulling the same trick twice. It yeah. It's a really complicated thing, and I yeah. have to imagine that Roberts was having these same thoughts where it's like, oh, there isn't... Obviously, he could have written someone in a different way to kind of like have them on the outs, but like you can't break up Chrome Dome and Rewind. Rung has had not enough to do, and is also Megatron's therapist. It really doesn't leave you with and anyone of the original group. Even if Drift was still in the book, you may be thinking, oh, maybe Drift. Drift was planned to be the DJD's ultimate target before they wrote Megatron into the book. Like, like when this book is set out, when both books are set out, the rules are no Optimus, no Megatron. Obviously, they regret that, and halfway through, they're like, actually, put them both in the books. So Megatron comes aboard the Lost Light. In the original outline, Drift is the DJD's ultimate end goal, like the ultimate traitor, because he is such a prominent Autobot kind of thing. So, like, he was supposed to be the one that they they have come here for, and, like, it's all a standoff to protect Drift kind of thing. So even he wouldn't have worked, and it would have been cheesy to, like, have the former Decepticon turn on the group, I think, as well. Yeah, I, I, I guess the only one it could have worked with would have been Ratchet. Oh, you could no, not Ratchet. I know, but Ratchet. <laughs> is, but that's the thing is, like, your reaction then is exactly why Ratchet well, yeah. is probably the character it should be. And I think what I said to you is the way you do it is they're in on it until it happens, and then they're like, wait, 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 wait. We agreed the Autobots wouldn't get hurt, just Megatron. But that is also where they reveal this at the end, but it's in a thrown away <laughs> kind of line that the Galactic Senate leaves, which yeah, is like. Yeah, yeah we've employed Overlord spoilers to come down and kill these guys, not the DJD, <laughs> but they obviously know that Overlord can't be controlled and he would go murder all the yeah. Autobots. Like he, the, the head of the Galactic Council literally goes like, sorry, I don't remember making this deal with you. Yeah, like, they don't give a fuck. Like, so Getaway does try and protect everyone other than Megatron. Um, like for Rodimus, it's just tough luck, you're stranded, I'm taking your ship, bye, rather than I'm going to kill you all. But yeah, so they, they are holed up in this fortress. The Necrobot is dead. He has turned into a puddle, and in the puddle is a key, which they will use in a second. And the psychic attack is his tech. He basically has a computer that can detect your guilt, and he uses it to correctly assign his little flowers to who killed you and or who you killed, all that stuff. So it was like a distress call, but like in a very specific way. Tarn gives them until sunset. They consider using the Necrobot's teleporter to escape, but they ultimately vote to stay because when that little key that they found on the Necrobot's corpse is followed to the door that it corresponds with, he has a a wing of comatose patients, and they do this thing that like I think is maybe a little bit too much. They present them as organic life forms, and it will later turn out they're not, but like they are masked as, as organic life forms. And I think the reason they do it is so that you can have the shocking moment where Megatron of all people votes to stay. Megatron who like the last time this kind of thing came up, he was like, Oh, well if it was Cybertronians, yeah, we should maybe consider risking our lives, but not for fucking organics. 
And now we've reached a point where he's like the first one to stay, he's staying to protect them because the DJD would kill them is, is the premise here. And no, like, I guess the thing is like, cause the whole thing is like, these are not organics as we will find out later on. <laughs> they are like hollow matter disguises to make them look like organics. But like, what does um, that achieve? Because like we've already got well, the, think- the premise here that like the DJD would kill organics. So like, what did that really help other than like this contrivance of like having Megatron be the first person to, to vote against leaving? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is it, it does feel like it is like, it's too, like intelligent steps away and kind of like yeah. it kind of like convolutes itself like it's and like I, I do also feel like they could have had somebody teleport away get help and come back so like maybe yeah, the dj yeah. the djd should have just disabled the teleporter or something but then if they're in the, the fortress uh, then they're fucked so the other thing that obviously they're trying to hide is probably my least favorite thing about this entire arc is that whilst i think tarn is like well and truly rehabilitated into being just a, a glorious evil person over the course of this and mm-hmm. you get the, the fantastic kind of like three-way confrontation in a couple of issues time but like they use this to play up who tarn really is yeah, and yeah. the subversion of that comes through the reveal of the <laughs> fact that they're not organic life forms. No. And again, we'll we'll get into the specifics of that, but it is just like this, like, okay, you're yeah. you're using this to give to make Megatron seem more heroic, but also you're trying to still obfuscate who Tarn really is yeah. and and still play up the kind of like the fan theory around it all. Mm-hmm. And in doing so have just made the fan theory seem far, far, far more plausible than the actual relevant revelation that you give us so you mentioned it um that we get this meeting megatron sneaks off to have a private parlay with tarn offers to surrender tarn savagely assaults him he won't fight back but overlord as you mentioned returns and those two have a little fight and megatron escapes while they're fighting so basically everyone that tarn is working with is not a fan of this plan of like attack then give them till sunset and just sit there and wait and like give them time to prepare. Tarn is adamant on doing it by the book. Megatron... Which which Megatron wrote like that yes. thing. Like Megatron knows exactly what he's doing when when he says he's giving them till sunset. Everyone is like, okay, this is like nice, and he's like, no, this is like the worst thing he can do because like he it will make you terrified for this entire time. Yeah, like you're just gonna be like terrified out of your mind. Yeah. essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's that thing of like not knowing. Well, no, you do know when it's coming, but like yeah. Giving you time to dwell on it is 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 a form of torture. Yeah, they have a face-off. It's really well done. Like, Megatron talks about how he corrupted Tarn to prove if, if he could be turned, then anyone could be. So again, like, really playing up who is Tarn really as someone important. Tarn is, is basically super disappointed in his idol. He tells him, you achieved more than any Cybertronian who ever lived. And then he says, yeah, even with all my upgrades, even with me, like constantly dosing myself with this like performance enhancer if you fought back you could kill me he just starts beating megatron who won't fight back but luckily yes overlord returns they are super vague on the details of overlord's survival it is kind of cute seeing overlord and tarn fight over who loves slash hates megatron the most (laughs) overlord isn't really hurt in this exchange but tarn is able to hold his own against him one-on-one when like nobody can do that so like it kind of makes them both look really good and just, yeah, it feels like I, I don't. I feel like the assumption is like because Tarn is obviously a lot smaller than Overlord, but it does feel like if if there had been a fourth phase uh, phase sixer or a fifth or whatever, like was Tarn the mm. next in line to kind of like join that group? Yeah, he seems like he's not a million miles off the process that is done to them, but he doesn't have the. I feel like he's like not indestructible, but he is as strong or whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, because he's we've already seen him canonically kill one of the Phase Sixers, mm. like, and obviously there are a whole bunch of this kind of second, like if if Megatron is like at, like S tier Decepticon, and you've got <laughs> the Phase Sixers as like the brute forces, and then obviously like Starscream, Soundwave, Shockwave as kind of like the three biggest generals, I feel like you've got this next tier of like super strong, the elite guard, the best, the elite of the like best, like, like yeah. Tarn, Scorpion, Arc, like those kind of guys, the ones who are like not quite your like your a-list level or like not quite your like i can destroy a planet just by like yeah. making planet planet side but like the really fucking big guys that you pull out when you need to show show off this kind of thing obviously scorpionock isn't a robert's creation and mm. is is in the back pocket <laughs> but it does feel like one of those things where like all of the strong like the brute forciest guys are on the decepticon side like mm-hmm. i think we've we've had discussions around like the constructicons now all the coolest most popular combiners are all Yep. Decepticons, mm-hmm. really. The big two, and, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, fuck Superion. Yeah. Like, it's Bruticus and it's Devastator. And they have the Phase Sixes. They have the DJD. And they have the, like... I think both sides have triple changers, but, like, I think the most famous triple changer is, is Blitzwing, who is a Decepticon. And they're just cooler, <laughs> is the problem with the Decepticons. How many, how many Decepticon toys do you own in comparison to Autobot uh, toys? Let me have a look. Are we including Beast Wars? We'll include Beast Wars. We'll okay. say Maximals are Autobots. Then uh, I have... I think I have more opt- Autobots, unfortunately. But, like, I have, like, two Optimus Primes. Three Optimus <laughs> Primes. I have the Lego one, which is cool. I have a Super 7 one. And I have Leo Convoy, who basically is Optimus Prime. The, like, Lion Optimus from the Japanese Beast Wars. But I would love to have more Decepticons than I have. And there aren't that many more Autobots that I would like. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, I think all all of the ones I've got, I've got a Tarn and I've got a tiny Megatron, and like I read this mm. and I was like, oh, maybe I want to complete the tank set. No, I want like a, a pro- little Overlord. Yeah. I want a little Overlord. I want a proper size Megatron. I can have like my little yeah. three Decepticon tanks because those are like the three most Decepticon tank. I mean, I, 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 oh, sorry, and you got me a Soundwave, didn't you? Okay, so I I've did got get more. Sound- yeah, yeah. Um, I have another Soundwave, another Starscream. And a Megatron pre-ordered from Super 7. Uh, they're like a really cool line that's like, they're super like G1 and they're like really satisfyingly blocky. So they're all coming. So I will have more. But I'm right have to look now. this up now. Yeah, the Super 7 Ultimates, if you look those up, they, they have a really cool range. Um, right now I just have Optimus and it's probably my favourite plastic thing I own, to be honest. <laughs> they ultimately end up realising Megatron slipped away. They agree to form an alliance. He um, is, like, properly fucked up in this, because, like, Tarn has shot him twice with his, like, double yeah. fusion cannon. Megatron is, is, like, like, on the verge of death. <laughs> he is, he is a, basically, he has no chest. His hole in his chest, and, like, later on in this issue, they reveal that, like, Tarn has ripped off his Autobot badge and it's like covered in in energon and like yeah, yeah like if if megatron didn't get on his little i forget what they call them um <laughs> oh yeah there's a whole joke about these little scooters that have to be labeled as scooters because they're so shit when megatron escapes <laughs> on one um but yeah he was willing to die like megatron is being written with like hey i've been confronted with everything i've done and to be honest I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world if I was killed. He obviously does defend himself in certain situations, but he's kind of stopped doing that now as well. Meanwhile, in this issue, Ravage has basically volunteered to go try and find a ship for them to escape on. So Megatron distracting Tarn is kind of like 
one part of it, but it's sort of a distraction, sort of not. But Ravage has basically followed the scent of the DJD to find their base camp, and then realizes ten as bait. Yes, like ten has followed him because ten is like trying to get someone's attention to like point something out, but like no one is listening to ten because obviously ten doesn't have a very distinct vocabulary. He just says ten. Um, He's a Pokemon. Just says ten. But, like, there's so many different panels of him holding one of the flowers that was inside the Necrobots. Yeah, the, like, to-be-completed, uh, the flowers that he, he distributes everywhere. Yes. Um, he's trying to tell them they can use them to boost the shields around the Necrobots Fortress, and they do end up doing that. Yes, he, he leaves a note for them. But in this, is- in this issue, Ravage uses him as bait and basically gets the entirety of this, like, big Decepticon team to beat the fuck out of him whilst Ravage... I find this very uncomfortable. And I think it's because Ten is coded as, like, having a childlike intellect, and just says Ten, and he seemingly has no urge of violence in him, and lately he's been covered in flower drawings that people have done on him. Uh, Or maybe he's covered himself in stickers, I don't fucking know. And they are just (laughs) really, really, really violently assaulting him while he just keeps saying Ten and just looking really sad. (laughs) And, like, but he can take a beating. He can. Obviously, like, he gets really, really demolished. He is in a similar state to Megatron by the end of this. (laughs) But, yeah, it it, it is uncomfortable. It does feel like a big 80s trope in terms of, like, let's have the... It's it's like in Of Mice and Men, Lenny is, like, Lenny is coded as this kind of, like, giant gentle, but obviously uh, misinterpreted Mm. as being, like, super, super violent and obviously has to die because because of accidental accidental murder, like again, it, it feels like it's a big trope in literature. Like Frankenstein's yeah. monster is like a similar thing, although obviously that's a more intelligent creature. But is this that this kind of gentle giant accused of violence or driven to violence or, or however you want to mm-hmm. say it? And and that is the role that Ten is kind of like taking on here. And it seems um, like he is going to die, but luckily he is saved by the return of Drift and Ratchet and new bodies back from their other book that they were in for about four ben, issues. Why don't you tell me? about empire of stone i will give you one minute uh, it's good like i <laughs> i like both of the drift miniseries in all okay. honesty i think they're probably the place that drift has been best portrayed in i guess in terms of like apart from this book i feel like when he's his role in the, the main book has been kind of like really really disappointing but like i like the artwork on the the two drift miniseries i definitely think he's more interesting as a character in this one but like yeah i'm not mad about Empire of Stone. Gigatron. Um, Gigatron is there. We love Gigatron. It's definitely not the worst thing that that I've I've had to read um, (laughs) for this recently. But it is bizarre that, like, they've pulled Drift and Ratchet from this book for almost, like, two years, it feels like. Like, they have been gone for a good long while. Ratchet last long, but yeah. Ratchet last long, but, like, it's a four-issue miniseries that ended in... 2015 mm. and this issue comes out in 20 like march 2016 so ratchet has not been been in published pages for a year mm. by the time this comes out and it's like Jeez. i understand publishing reasons and all the rest of it like you want to have it be a big moment but it does just kind of like feel like really you took you took it away from roberts for four issues of a comic book and then we yeah. had to kind of like do without two of the most interesting characters in the cast for like a good long while because drift yeah. has been gone since issue 
20? Uh, even though no, before, before that, that like 17, 16. Right? So it is a shame that like we have gone like. I mean, he <laughs> he had his couple of moments in flashback of like him buying the ship and stuff like that. But yeah, like kicked out, talked about all the time, like Rodimus feeling all the guilt over exiling his best friend. But yeah, physically gone for a really long time. And it, they're back. They've got shiny does... new bodies. I like the they designs. Do. The designs are good. It's a really nice splash page. They immediately kind of like, while the book has had this kind of like hopeless feel for two issues, it really does kind of like feel like, oh, maybe we're actually going to like win this. Yeah, the tide is turning because Ratchet, noted purveyor of violence, and Drift, (laughs) a sword psycho, which is fair. Um, I just want to shout out possibly my favorite panel in this entire like arc, which is Ravage driving Drift's (laughs) ship. (laughs) This little pause. (laughs) <laughs> yeah alex mill doing heroes work right here because it is an yeah. incredible panel they are killing he's, like, a bunch. he's got his tail wrapped around like a joystick <laughs> as well it's great <laughs> they do kill a bunch of decepticons but then they start to get outnumbered drift notices that one of the djd is really protective of his pet turbo fox so he like grabs it and puts a sword to its throat and is like, back off or I kill it. And they end up kidnapping it, which feels a slight bit contrived, but is super necessary. Tarn will end up killing the member of the DJD that feels this way for showing weakness. He like rips his head off and smashes his skull against Overlord's chest. Again, very out of place from the character we saw like <laughs> 10 issues ago in that one issue where he's like, I can't bear to look at people in the eye when yeah. I kill them. It is a nice uh, mirroring though, because this is the member of the DJD that like smashed Trailcutter's skull against the inside of the force field, so he, he has it done back he's to He's also him. the newest member of yes, the group. Yes, a thing that isn't highlighted enough in my opinion is not all of these are the original members, and, and they have real names, and the names they use in the DJD can be passed on, and this is the newest Kaon. Kaon? Kaon. Kaon? Kaon is probably way better. Yes, there is an original Kaon which we will get onto very briefly. Yeah, Ravage, as you say, like steals a ship and flies them. Not a big enough ship, like a mini ship. Flies them back to the base. He says to Ratchet, welcome back, by the way, I gather you were missed. Because, like, you know, they didn't really get on. Rodimus does try and make amends with Drift to mixed results. That is kind of left as a dangling thread, like them having a full amends. Yeah, for for as gay as this book is about to get for the next couple of years, <laughs> because boy is like the main thrust of the next three issues all about the relationships really between yep. multiple pairings. It is a shame that kind of like the early on potential budding romance between Drift and, and Rodimus is kind of yeah. uh, limited to just this. And I feel like it also doesn't really get foregrounded in Lost Light either. No, like, I don't they're, they're shifted into friend territory firmly yeah. when it seemed like they were being set up as possible boyfriends but we get a break in the action we will come back to a lot more action first we've got revelations and then we will have relationships so revelations <laughs> so they have this pet turbo fox they brought it back with them and it's like hey chrome dome if you inject it you can find out where their ship is he injects it and learns it is dominus ambus Rewind's long-lost ex-husband. I don't know how divorce works here, if, like, presumed dead constitutes a divorce, or if Rewind is a bigamist, but Dominus Ambus, the reason Rewind and Chrome Dome boarded the ship to try and find many hints missing in action, turns out he is not only the spy in the DJD, the mysterious Agent 113, he was the original Kaon, he was caught, they 
did what that guy did to the 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 animal you know the beast formers like forced into beast mode semi lobotomized couldn't transform anymore so the djd have been walking around with rewind's ex-husband on a leash as their pet (laughs) yeah luckily at the same time basically rewind has been trying to distract himself from like everything else going on and has decided to like research the missing names on the necrobot's wall yeah so basically he he has managed to find like the original what's it called the The grand cybertronian taxonomy yes which obviously like feels like something that i would really like to find which is it basically has like a number for every single transformer every um, old and like every everything yeah, every... that someone can turn into from the functionalists and they revised it over time i feel like bear with me here because obviously mm-hmm. it's a pokedex he is, it is a pokedex it, that's it's why you giant... like it it's, it's why I like it, and it's why the the TF wiki kind of annoys me is that there is not just a big master list because it's all listed by the fucking toys and the brands I come with. I'm like, no, no, no. All I need is just a list of like One, what year these car, guys were introduced. Two, bigger car. Three, truck. <laughs> I don't need evolution. I just need to know, like, Optimus is Transformer number one. Like, give me a fucking, like, number system nice. for all these guys. Yeah. Anyway, they have given Dominus Ambus the number of 113, yep. which is obviously the first issue that James Roberts read of the Transformers UK He's series. He's this number everywhere in the book. Yeah. <laughs> it is the room that Megatron lives in on the Lost Light. But, like, that's the thing. is like, maybe the way they found him is they found an original copy of the Grand Cybertronian Taxonomy, and they were like, hey, Agent 113 looks just like the guy we've hired to be Kaon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, presume they probably was harder than that because obviously they reveal that, like, the part of this reveal is that, like, Minimus is like, oh, yeah, my brother, like, he's smaller than I am and, like, he was super embarrassed by it, but, like, he was always wearing, an, wearing a suit and stuff he, like that. Yeah, and, like, he wore armor too. And Rewind's like, no, he didn't. And he's like, yeah, he did, bro. And he's like, okay, show me, like, what he turned into then. And then you kind of get them both happening at the same time. Like, Chrome Dome yeah. is doing Nemo surgery at the same time that Rewind's looking stuff up. And we get this big reveal on the screen. There you go. He turned into a Turbo Fox. This partially explains why Dominus is written as a big fighter for equal rights and for the disposable classes, for the lower classes. He established a sentience test for beasts because beasts were historically looked down on. I mean, I want to say less than human, but again, they're not human. But yeah, because he turns into one and he hid that for political purposes. <laughs> but yeah, super fucked up that he has been in kind of plain sight for quite a long time. Yep. His design is weird, though, because he's got mm. a lot of kibble. <laughs> he's got a lot of spiky bits under his lot of spiky exterior. bits that, that feel like <laughs> they don't fit into like his armor that you see at later points because they're kind of bigger than his shoulders. Like I don't think yeah, but would he, fit. yeah, but he's smaller than his like like when Minimus was killed and a tinier Minimus was inside and Rodimus was like, "What the hell?" Same thing <laughs> here. He's wearing a, a little guy on top of an even littler guy. Um, true, true. There are two heartbreaking lines of dialogue from Chrome Dome here, who is dying from doing this, by the way, and they've said, like, oh, he's been recovering from injecting six months ago, something like that, and he's literally dying as he's doing it. I do wish this had been seeded a little bit more, because Mm -hmm. it does feel like it's a very... They've been talking about, like, what Nemo surgery can do to you, and we've had like the 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 bad sides come out and stuff like that, and like people mm. saying like one day you just die. But it does feel like all of that has kind of been in kind of the last like five to six issues. Yeah, and it's yeah. but the problem is it's a gimmick that is really good and it's really useful to write. So you yeah. can keep saying, oh, if he keeps doing this, he's in trouble. But you do kind of need him to keep doing it, and like you can't just kill him in issue ten. So. It, yeah, that's, that's a problem. Yes, he says to Rewind, I found him for you, 
because as we remember, Chrome Dome is convinced that Rewind loves Dominus more than him, and he is willing to go with him on this quest to find him for him, and he's done it. And then he says, you can have him instead of me. And my tiny heart snaps in two at <laughs> both of these lines. Rewind ends up punching Rodimus, calls him an enabler, and then he cuts Chromedome's arm hand off to stop him from from getting the last he thinks he can fix Dominus, undo the domestication, yeah. but at the cost of his own life. And Rewind chooses Chromedome over Dominus. Cuts his hand off. We yeah. get a complete recreation of the panel where Chromedome killed Rewind. Mercy killed him because he was stuck with Overlord and then collapsed to the floor. But this time Rewind is like with him. It's yeah, super th- cute. this time it's, <laughs> it's drawn by Hayato Sakamoto. Like the all the art like all mm. the art and the dialogue on this is like really, really good. And they've got the full quote on the TF wiki, but it's like rewind repeating, like it's not your decision to make Gomi, it's not your decision to make. Like rewind yeah, just like, needed to know what happened for closure. It was never about getting back with him or anything like that. And Chrome Dome never knew that until now. It's just really sad, but also heart, you know, like really, really um, uplifting and, and, and nice for the couple that have been bickering so much to yeah. have their little moment. And I, I think they're mostly smooth sailing from here. I can't really Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any hint of like kill your gaze or anything like that. And <laughs> Which is really good because I, I don't I don't think maybe there's one relationship that kind of like gets broken up by the end, but for mm-hmm. the most part the relationships get to like stay strong yeah. till the end of the book. So um, so speaking of relationships, as their certain death is approaching, a lot of characters are like speaking the truths, wanting to do some things before they die. And we get a twin set of scenes here that I really like that aren't hugely important, but like Nautica performs an Amica Endura ceremony, which is best friends. And Cyclonus and Whirl kind of have a little talk. Uh, This talk is incredible. Yes, this... I would rather talk about this, actually, yes. This is my favourite line in the book. Whirl asks Cyclonus if he and Tailgate are are married, and he's like, no. And he says, is it because of of the size difference? And Cyclonus says, in a way, he towers over me. And it's like, I think Cyclonus is my chrome dome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, like as you are so like you latch onto Chrome Dome so much, I fucking love Cyclonus and like the complete arc for him coming to terms with who he is, his relationship with Tailgate, like being accepted by the crew, doing all of it while looking physically monstrous in a way that none of the others do because he is like from a previous um, yeah version of Cybertron. Like, like, and... like that line is incredible, but also just the follow up lines after that where like Will's like, well, I still think you should be spending the rest of your lives together. I mean, we're talking all of twenty four minutes, but. <laughs> Cyclonus, oh, we'll survive this. He'll survive at any rate. Well, because of the upgrade, Cyclonus, because I'll split this world open and tear down the sky before I let let him come to even the slightest harm. Yeah. Like, fucking hell yeah, A1. I don't like Tailgate, but I fucking love Cyclonus, and if this is who he has chosen, then I support it. Super touching, and again, for it to be between these guys that like spend most of the book saying, I'll kill you. No, I'll kill you. I do think that it's interesting that most of the scenes of Cyclonus being this honest are with Whirl, like they're yeah. not necessarily with the Tailgate. two most emotionally stunted people in the book. <laughs> Like come to a like an emotional understanding together, and um, and, and like the the Amica and Jura scene is like really nice mm-hmm. because it is this kind of like there's conversations around it where like the differences between Cybertronians and Camions where like on Camio obviously they said that like you have to have an Amica and Jura and to have a conjunct and Jura you have to be an Amica and Jura first, isn't it? Whereas I think so, and then Rewind on says they're completely separate, aren't they? Yeah, you have to rule out 
romantic partnership before you can be best friends and he says it can sometimes be a bit bittersweet because somebody might have like thought that it was heading to a marriage place and the other one is like will you be my best friend in writing forever and that's all we'll ever be but yeah she she takes aside a couple of her friends that like maybe these relationships haven't been fleshed out quite enough but it's still cute like velocity skids brainstorm rung nightbeat and they all go into a quiet room together and like they basically just kind of hold hands and like speak some words and like i think she exposes her spark to them but yes she yeah. does it's just a nice little thing yeah. and like it, it's a big part of her it's culture nice. that she didn't have she was like the only one who didn't have a proper amica endure she has one but she doesn't actually like her and they kind of did it out of pity <laughs> but yeah she gets you know we're all gonna die let's be friends officially in writing yeah <laughs> and obviously she's but also this is like building up to there is a budding romance between her and skids a little bit, yeah. I, I read it that way, but like, if they're confirming that doing this means you can't be in love, then... Or maybe no, she's doing it her like, way. She's, like, yeah. she's doing it her way where she's like, this is the step you take before yeah. we can... Like, we must be Amica and Jura before yeah. we become she, conjuncts. She's a hyperactive girl. He's a golden retriever boy. Like, come on. Can I make it any more obvious? Good thing nothing bad is ever going to happen to skits. Yes. They do parlay that into a giant group hug scene uh, with like the entire cast and Rod are saying thanks for traveling with me to the whole crew like he he's rarely thankful to them he's kind of like if i just deploy action and comedy mode all the time you'll all just like me and then this is like a sincere moment from him they actually they convert the teleporter into a new fusion cannon for megatron um his signature weapon that he was made to melt when he joined the autobot he won't even look at it he's still refusing to fight so, sunset arrives, the two sides go to war, the Lost Light crew are enhanced with like a mini version of Tailgate's powers, they figure out how to do this, but these powers do fade and the tide starts turning against them. Brainstorm has made Minimus Ambus some even bigger Ultra Magnus armor, which he calls Maximus Ambus, which is so big that it has shoulder-mounted turrets that are big enough that Swerve and Rewind can sit in them and shoot out, which is pretty cool. Rodimus does like a Human Torch style Nova Blast where he just gives off fire. I gather he did this in an early comic. Is it Maximum Dinobots? Or yeah, you know, he, does, he does it in the Summon Thurman era. Like, yeah, there's definitely yeah. more flame imagery uh, <laughs> Hot Rod. You get Overlord taunting Chrome Dome about how violently he murdered Rewind in if you remember the the contrivance of that like he would have only had a second to do any of this but never mind and then chrome dome like one shot punches overlord which is well, quite satisfying do, should we mention how they've managed to get these well powers? that's that's i was trying to get the cool moments with the powers out of the way because the way they get them is mega fucked up so as you recall tailgate got his from a traumatic incident combined with radiation yes and they... ratchet has basically been reading all the medical journals journals while he's in here and he goes like did you realize that like everyone else who saw tailgate do this also got powers yep because basically everyone was coming to like they'd come to velocity and kind of like complained of like spark burnout and she just assumed that they were like tired or or kind of like caught up in this thing but it was because they were actually super super strong for a very brief window of time and they want to recreate it by basically causing trauma to one of them that will cause the spark to kind of like go supernova and give all of them the, the poor poor golden retriever skids obviously is the first to volunteer and says hey maybe it's time chrome dime that you tell me this missing piece of my memory and rather than injecting he just uses verbal prompts to fill in those gaps that we know about and coincidentally helpfully tarn is playing the music and skids does get the trauma incident does supercharge them they all go out and fight 
Skids fucking dies. <laughs> he's crawling on the ground. He's calling himself scum. He's like, get brainstorm. And then he just fucking dies. And it feels fucking unnecessary. <laughs> I mean, somebody has to die. It has to mean something. But, like, not Skids. Not, not the Golden Retriever. But no. I, I, it, it's weird. For a book that has nailed the emotional beats so consistently up to this point, for the romances, I do feel like Skids' death is kind of, like, mm-hmm. a little bit of an afterthought. And I don't know if that's because he's been too much of a kind of blank slate Golden Retriever without enough... I don't think he's done enough between... When he arrives, it's it's very thick with his amnesia, and then we get the reveal with Getaway and like what they would, what their past was, and then he kind of is just generic. He's like stand in for Rodimus almost a lot of times. Mm. Like Rodimus isn't around, so you're the good guy, you're the upstanding action hero who's going to say all the nice things, and he hasn't had enough. Yeah, that's, I, I I do think that like Drift, Rodimus, and Skids all fill a very similar remit for the book yeah and they all kind of get in each other's way like i'm not yeah. saying that like rodimus should be the one to die at this point but like <laughs> you could potentially have combined all have three of those characters yeah. you could have done it you could have killed rodimus and have somebody else take over would have upset me but fuck me so yeah but the... the thing is but like but it would upset you but i feel like it may be the more dramatically like weighty thing to do at this point it would I probably know, upset like, me in a, in, saying... a, in a rewarding way whereas skids dying upsets me and i like oh man Gone away. <laughs> I do feel like that there comes a point where Rodimus does need to learn how to be the leader of this group in a mm. way that is self-sacrificing instead of I'll do the trauma. Like I kind of caused all of this. Get away did this to me. Let the thing is, do I don't know what his you. what his trauma would be unless they were like setting up yeah a hidden path. This or whatever is with them it. revealing. Like, they could have held off on revealing he knew about Overlord. I don't know. Anyway, their powers start fading. They start getting their asses kicked. Megatron has been holding back. Megatron takes the field. Ratchet reveals to him that Fool's Energon, uh, the thing that he's been taking to weaken him, that he believes is curbing his aggression, he reveals it's a placebo. All of the acts of restraint he has done, and it sounds like he hasn't done many because he keeps saying how he like beats someone up when he says he's a pacifist, but it's all his own. Nothing's been done to him. He's not weaker. No chemical alteration of his brain. And yeah, and so this this confirmation because like he's been talking in multiple issues, like in his conversations with Tarn and even with Ratchet and other and Ravage and stuff like that, where he's been going like, I don't know whether or not this is the real me, mm-hmm. and I'm having this internal fight between two sides, and I don't know which one is like the actual one. Like this isn't said, but like our reading is like, do I deserve this? Like, have I earned it? Is it mine? this kind of, like, change of heart, or is this being done to me, kind of thing. And then, like, if it's not his own, does it mean anything? And so, like, I think it's all... You can say what you want about Autobot Megatron. I think the needle is threaded shockingly well. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that thing is, like, I... I think they do enough around the edges where like, maybe there needs to be more time given to the people who are like, no, 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 he's a genocidal monster. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the interesting stuff that he does is kind of like reverting back to his pre-war self. Where yeah, he yeah. is he refines fighting... the heart of the cause kind of thing rather than like what it turned into. Um... It almost makes it a shame that he is an Autobot. I understand <laughs> that making him an Autobot is a really potent image, but like it almost feels like him renouncing Decepticonism would be a more more in line with his actual point of view so i don't think he is actually an autobot unless he is unless he goes on to redefine what being an autobot means because obviously he's still having those debates with like past optimus and stuff like that and and, <laughs> and he still and, and doesn't agree that, with him he's still like you're a fucking you're, you're a lib and that's the ultimate kind of like thing where it's like i i understand seeing megatron walk out with an autobot badge on him yeah. is 
is a big image, but he isn't an Autobot, really. No, he's no. Still, he is still fighting to dismantle this system yeah. in a lot of ways. But yeah, and I think that this conversation with Ratchet, where Ratchet is like, basically, like if you refuse to take it, was going to be our sign that you were maybe reneging on, on the deal, yeah. um, as opposed to anything else. So me telling you this now, as we're about to die, I don't think this changed anything. And in fact, it's going to reconfirm for you that you are making these choices of your own volition. Yeah. You are not doing it because you've been brainwashed or because there's been any kind of change to your to your neural pathways he did or anything the steps. like that. Like he, he did it. And he takes the field. It doesn't hurt any that Tarn rips Ravage in half, which, you know, Megatron is quite attached to Ravage. He takes the field, he's a one man army. He basically murders like every no name Decepticon in the in the pack. Like we get multiple yeah. panels of him just taking on everyone. He like orders the rest of the crew to take Ravage and retreat. I'll take them all by myself. Most of them run at this point. It really is just Tarn and Overlord who yeah, kind like, of like hang around. Tarn stay. is like telling Deathsaurus, send every one of your men at Megatron, and like he's slaughtering them, and like he's doing that while also pulling his own men back, and Deathsaurus kind of like realizes what's up, and like he's like, nah, fuck this, and they all leave. But then the combined power of Tarn and Overlord is enough to overwhelm Megatron. He retreats into a panic bubble of the same type that Trailcutter used. Overlord pieces out because he thinks that's pathetic, which <laughs> kind of makes Overlord feel very pointless in this final act, other than just to bring everybody back. Ravage confirms, so Ravage is like on the brink of death, but can still talk. He's like, yep, Megatron stole the force field tech from Trailcutter's corpse. Brainstorm's like, you can't just take someone's corpse and be an outlier. Ravage is like, Megatron's smarter than everyone else. He will always find a way. Megatron thinks in like 4D chess where he's like, he's Batman. If I ever... he's, he's always prepared for everything. If I ever change my mind at any point, I'm going to need to have this to my side. And so yeah. he's like, Megatron's had a time briefcase constantly with him that he conveniently left on the Necro planet like yeah. when we were last here. He's he been working on... He, he's got he's, the bubble. He's been working on something we'll get to in a second. But yeah, and like Brainstorm objects and he's like, I'm really smart. And Ravage says, you're not even the smartest person in this conversation. <laughs> Which I really like. Megatron ends up pulling the Tarn and the DJD into the bubble with him and he unleashes antimatter powers to murder the fuck out of them all. He has had been planning to take his own life in this effort, but he ends up accepting Rodimus's rescue. So this antimatter thing, this has been a thing in Transformers for forever. It's in one of his toy bios. You see it reference like he uses it in the comic at some point in the very distant past, and and like it's in games and mentioned in cartoons and all this stuff. It was even seeded all the way back in Chaos Theory. You have the Autobots when they capture Megatron gossiping about his ability to use antimatter. We had, when Megatron came aboard the Lost Light, Ratchet was asking him, is it true about your eyes kind of thing. And we've had all this talk of him locking himself in his room, closing his eyes and just thinking, and he says he's working. And we know he has this nonsense body full of teleporters. Yeah, his, like, because we, we we mentioned it, like, way back in the past, like, his original body was completely destroyed, and then they built a second body for him that was also a space bridge. Yeah. And, He's like, been, like, rebuilt so many times that he's, like, he's all fucked up. And... Yeah, he's, he's all fucked up inside, and one of the first things that happens when he boards the Lost Light is, obviously, he manages to, like, chop Whirl's arm off when he goes to stab him through the chest. Mm-hmm. And Whirl finds his arm in a closet, and he's like, um, why is my arm here? And he had been using the arm, like, if I can mentally retrieve the arm 
from inside my body, then that means I can safely retrieve energy from a black hole and uh, unleash antimatter. And yeah, just from his eyes come these like black and red lasers, and he just violently murders the whole DJD. He calls them all by their real names one by one. We finally get the reveal that Tarn is Glitch, the little robot on the heist back in the, the flashback arc who worked with Optimus and the other outliers, the one that could make non-sentient machines switch off. Basically, his powers leveled up to the point he can make sentient machines switch off, as Tarn's ability to talk people to death, uh, which very conveniently doesn't come up when you need to actually fight him one-on-one. <laughs> but yeah, he's Glitch. He was present in the scene where Roller is told by Optimus, hey, you should read some of Megatron stuff. Like, Glitch is in the background, and it's this really... It's this panel that if you know what's up, it's, like, so devious. Yeah, and then he's an outlier, he's a 0.1 percenter. We know he had his hands replaced between appearances, so, like, that hints is at him. his face replaced in between appearances as well? Well, yeah, or exactly. Not, not... Because he replaced his hands, it, it kind of seeds the idea that he also replaced his head. And we know that he went through extensive, like, body modification... Skids had said how he had a friend. He knew where your brain was in your alt mode. And, like, Skids was friends with pre-Tarn Glitch. Um, but, like, it doesn't come up in the issues where Tarn and Skids... Are talking, yeah, I know. I guess he doesn't know that Glitch has become Tarn, but he knows Glitch, and I, I really don't it's know. Just, it is just... It's that thing, it's like, it's my least favourite thing, or it's like... And I've mentioned it in multiple episodes at this point, but it's like, when you put too much energy into the yeah. red herring clue, and you don't put enough energy into the real one. Yeah. And so it feels like you've just... All you've been focusing your time and energy on is hoodwinking the audience rather yeah. than actually making it a solvable thing. And, and, like, and straight up, have... ha- hand in the air, when I first read this, I didn't remember who Glitch was. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. And then I reread it, I was like, oh, that's cute. The thing is, all it would take would be, because it's not even a thing where Skids goes, oh my god, it's like, and it shows that he knows him, because we know that Skid, like, it's just... You could have robbed that memory of him, in, like, that could have been tied up in his lost memories, that, like, Skids knew who Tarn was all along, and, like, you could have done the double reveal. I don't know. It, it is a they, shame, and, they, like, but obviously... They do rule out the red herring at the last second, because those organic life forms that aren't actually organic life forms start to emerge from their stasis, and Roller is one of them. And Roller was the giant red herring where it probably would have actually been a better reveal to be honest (laughs) yes roller who has the tread wheels on his like shoulders rough physical size of tarn and addiction and and, and all of that stuff but hey no he is one of them all you'd have to reveal would be like yeah he stole he was the originator of like megatron realizing that he could steal 0.1 percenter abilities and all the other things like it's not quite right like tarn is such a great character but like the reveal of who he really is is kind of i mean on some level i respect that it's like he he started off so lowly and he ended up as the mighty tarn but it's also just like i don't know the reveal wasn't as as, as yeah he started off so lowly but the thing is he starts off so lowly in that he is one of kind of three tossed off characters who don't really (laughs) do much if he was the only one and he was so lowly and like it's that thing where it's like sometimes this book has too many characters it's a a similar it's a similar problem 
to Michael Bay Transformers in the early days where it's like, why have one character do this thing when you can have three? I just and wonder, like, did he even need a secret identity? What if he just was just Tarn? Like, I know Tarn is the name of a city and they're all named after cities, so that means they all have real names and he's so, yeah, wearing he, a mask, so he must have a face. And it's like, okay, but does he actually need to be anyone? But fundamentally, the reappearances of Roller and Terminus yes. at this point matters more than the reveal of who Tarn is. Yeah. And, like, I love Tarn. We both have Tarn toys. <laughs> he is one of the few IDW creations that has actually like made his way into other media and stuff like that. It's like it's Drift, it's Tarn. Like, because Tarn is the main villain of like a, a later series of a cartoon show, isn't he? As well, I think so. Yeah. So yeah. obviously, like they they like him, and it's, it's cool. also kind of weird that he's yeah. it's weird he's not the villain of um, Rise of the Beast in all honesty, but. Mm-hmm. Vaguely similar design, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Terminus is another one. Megatron's like long lost mentor. Megatron is, is brought back to the fortress. Ravage had held on to life until Megatron returned. His final words are telling Megatron not to 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 stay an Autobot because he picks up Tarn's mask and he puts it on his chest as a badge. And Ravage like knocks it off his chest. And then when Ravage dies, Megatron briefly goes crazy and draws a gun on them. But then he sees Terminus and he hugs him and he steps on the badge. And yeah, that's his little uh, thing. When Ravage dies, we do cut to Soundwave across the universe looking super sad, which is impressive when he doesn't have a mouth. <laughs> but yeah, I always love... I love that Soundwave is telepathically bonded to his his cassettes. And uh, yeah, in books I haven't read, I gather there is some genuinely touching stuff with Soundwave like later talking about the death of, of some of his loved ones. Yeah, Soundwave is my favourite part of that other book at the yeah, moment. In that he, is, he is actually principled in terms of his ideas, and he's basically just like, no, 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 yeah. anyone can be here, but you cannot be a yeah. prime or aligned to a prime and like it's the most fertile stuff in the other book that's kind of shied away from politics offering like amnesty to anyone to join a commune like forget megatron forget primes we're gonna be true to the cause equality for all this means something to me damn it you know like yeah it's really good stuff and all these people that have been in comas the necrobot was accused of like being a sideline observer previously like you have all this tech where you can like teleport anywhere sense anyone all this stuff and you just let so many people die and go missing so he took that to heart and he took megatron's <laughs> abandoned time machine and he went and grabbed his list of missing trans- or some of them he didn't make it the whole way through the list he, yeah he was basically working through the list one by one so you want like he obviously some of those are legitimate mysteries and obviously dominus ambus was like the last name on the list of everyone mm. and we we got a conclusion to that so there's like hundreds of transformers or like tens of transformers who like just it genuinely are a mystery about what yeah, happened to them yeah. but like but yeah we, he we like, saved he, some of them yeah he brought them back to his thing and like because of the time travel and the trauma they had to be put into comas and disguised as organics whatever, whatever. Yeah, but we, we have a bunch of new people for the next incarnation of the book but the cliffhanger to this book is Nightbeat has yes. become very very distracted because when they first arrived on the Necrobot planet they teleported inside and realised the entire planet was hollow mm-hmm. and Nightbeat is like maybe this is how we might figure out our escape maybe there is something we can do on the inside we can hide the inside of the planet and they'll never find us let's go find this out Rung, come with me on this and so they promised to be back in time for sunset so they can give Megatron and Rodimus like like some idea of whether or not they're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. But upon finding a hatch and ending up on the other side of the planet where gravity manages to like keep them to the ground, Rung recognises 
the inverse of the place where he was born, essentially, mm-hmm. and starts to question whether or not this was the mold into which Cybertron was poured, essentially. Like, Cybertron was, was crafted, and it was crafted inside Necro World, and and so that's kind it, of... If you've been playing Tears of the Kingdom, it, it's very like <laughs> the depths, where there are mountains on the surface, there are valleys underneath, and the opposite, yeah. So, like, it's an inverted topography of Cybertron, and, and yeah, it was a mould for Cybertron, which is very interesting, but no time to dwell on that, because the Galactic Council, as we said, it's very throwaway in this last issue. They don't approve... The reason they were sending someone after Megatron, other than him being a wanted war criminal. They don't really like that this crew and Megatron are showing them up at their job and, like, saving people. So they deploy what is called a Geobomb to destroy Necroworld, and the series cuts to white as this bomb is teleported inside of Necroworld. And that's it. (laughs) That's the end of the fucking series. So, we know it's not over. We know Lost Light is coming, but I did want to just highlight that, like, you know, you talked about how this could have conceivably been an ending. I just want to highlight some, like, big long-term seeded mysteries and and plot elements that have been resolved by the end of these issues. So we've got every piece of Skids' past. We've got Tarn's identity. We've got the mystery of Dominus Ambus and Agent 113. They are one and the same. We know what happened to all the the missing in action names from the Necrobots list. Tailgate and Cyclonus have had their relationship confirmed. I forgot to say they're like holding hands at one point. Drift and Ratchet are back. There's kind of amends with Rodimus, but not quite. Getaway's whole scheme with Tailgate and his like dislike of Rodimus. What Megatron has been doing <laughs> throughout the series and, and like the Fool's Energon, all that sort of stuff. Brainstorm's briefcase was, was resolved ages ago, but it was a mystery set up all the way back in like issue one. So like, a lot of stuff there and a few things like before now have been done. There are though still some dangling threads at this point. One of them being, is everyone fucking dead, obviously, <laughs> from the Geobomb? What's going on with, as you said, the inverted Cybertron inside the Necro world and the mold? They haven't found the Knights of Cybertron or Cyber Utopia. We have a mutiny. Getaway has seized the Lost Light. Uh, we did get that dangling thread of, in the functionless timeline, they discovered what Rung turns into, which has been a long-running mystery in the book. And you would think they wouldn't do a what-if cliffhanger if there wasn't intention to pay that off. Skids' whole vision of the Cybertrons and the symbols, and, and that symbol has been appearing everywhere recently. The secret lab, the grand architect, all that stuff. Farmer was dragged into a portal. We don't know why. And I guess technically Overlord is still at large. That's what I've got. Was there anything that you I feel mean, the at the this point thing, is unaddressed? There's nothing really. The only thing, I guess, is the other like, little story in issue 50 with the the kind of like the time views back in time. Like it's, it's a very minor thing to kind of bring up, but there's like a little celebration of the past of the book where basically we revisit key points and kind of like the history of the Lost Light oh, yeah. um, with yeah. people with people viewing kind of different parts and they basically say that these time portals kind of like can expand and contract and like at this point it's, it's expanding but it might at some point expand again and you end up seeing getaway has like looking but looking back and kind of like seeing the 
potentially the last time the entire crew of the Lost Light was happy. Mm-hmm. But that's more to kind of like tease his role in the mutiny more than anything. But it's like it's it's fun. You get some more time with Shock and Awe, the characters who died in like the very first issue of the book. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 fun, but it's it's definitely one of those like this is just something to pad out the fiftieth issue so we can sell it as a as a kind of thirty page yeah, book yeah, rather yeah. than a twenty page book. But that's yeah. So like most, I would say every member of the core cast has had a story resolved and a plot line completed there are some big things like the reason they went on the quest although arguably cheesy as it is and all the jokes people make maybe it is the friends we made along the way i mean fundamentally it is one of those things where like the closest they've come to ever making any further distance on this journey has been in like issue 50 when they were having that conversation with megatron actually pointing stuff out did you mention thunderclash and kind of just uh, i didn't bother not, because like it's not like a hanging it's not a hanging thread but it is like thunderclash was fighting with them but for whatever reason they didn't send thunderclash down to necro world yeah, yeah. Um, i just he to me his first appearance was excellent and like it's just diminishing returns after that it's like you didn't really need to bring him back to life <laughs> like but he will he's not shown with the mutineers and he is not among the people on the planet so thunderclash is out there somewhere vitally mm. uh there's two more issues of more than meets the eye aren't there not that i recall them i will be reading these it's this weird situation where the book is officially over there is no more plot of this but there's like two more issues which are like red alert and fortress maximus which are the first time since dark cybertron that roberts has been pulled into a crossover but he doesn't put anything of it into the actual plot it is entirely side characters who i guess he does them because they're characters that he's previously had ownership of mm. but they're not included he could have just in been like visual. set before dying of the light like, and use the main cast if they desperately wanted his his book to cross over and it almost feels like an insult to be like okay i'll be in your fucking crossover but you can have fortress maximus and red alert <laughs> The, the big thing is the big yeah. Yeah, yeah the big thing now is like we get like we, obviously there's like two big Hasbro synergistic things that are about to happen to this universe one is Titan's Return which is the toy line of 2016 2017 like that's basically they're just tying into that aren't they like so all the toys that came out this year were like branded with Titan's Return on them and whatnot and then the main reason the reboot is happening is because Hasbro has said, what if we roll in all of our big franchises? Mm, yeah. Which will never touch this book, <laughs> but it is a thing that is happening in the background of this universe. And it is very funny that Roberts gets to get away with this, where he's like, I'm taking all of these toys, including some quite big prominent ones in terms of like what, well, like Rodimus, mm, um, Magnus, Ultra Ma- Ratchet, Magnus, Ratchet, Megatron. Drift, like, <laughs> Megatron. But none of them get touched by the fact that the main Transformers series will be crossing over with G.I. Joe, Rom the Space Knight and Mask. Mm-hmm. Don't the Ghostbusters... No, no, not in that. But they Ghostbusters, Ghost, but they, they cross over with Ghostbusters in the same way they crossed over with Marvel in yeah, that it's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an out of... Well, the Marvel one is in continuity which is absolutely fucking baffling <laughs> that all hell Megatron happened in a world with the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Insane. It is, but also funny that like there is a GI Joe book that has been running continuously at the same time as this Transformers book, and now at some point they have to go like, yeah, this the GI Joe book. At some point they didn't succeed and beat Megatron, who like blew up mm-hmm. the worlds. Well, that all sounds very stupid, funny, and I'm glad that the Transformers and GI Joe will never cross over again. <laughs> Next week we get a 
<laughs> reprieve on the live action side of the podcast. It's finally Bumblebee time. I'm genuinely actually looking forward to watching the movie for the next episode, which has not been I true am... even once up to now. <laughs> I am literally going to roll from this recording to watching Bumblebee. Okay. You're going to have a fun fun time. It's going to be a fun evening. I'm actually genuinely really excited for it because like, I'm, I'm hankering for a charismatic actress interacting with a cute robot slash dog slash child <laughs> thing. <laughs> Yeah, so Bumblebee's next week if you're watching along, if you want to read along. While this is the end of More Than Meets the Eye, uh, we, in two weeks, will be back with Lost Light issues. I didn't bother doing it. We are doing Lost Light issues 1 to 12. That's volumes 1 and 2 of Lost Light, which is just the new name of More Than Meets the Eye. You can think of them as volumes 11 and 12 if you prefer. But that is in two weeks. Next week, as I said, Bumblebee. This has been another lovely long recording <laughs> that'll be there's plenty of, you can get this down to a good 90 i bet thanks i still have to do it um <laughs> thank you ben for this lovely long time and your thoughts as always a very good ending uh, it's been fun to talk about thank you matt in two weeks you can discuss why rodimus is purple <laughs> What a cliffhanger. More so than maybe they're all fucking dead. And yes, thank you, audience. Roll out. This is why, this is why we fight. When we die, we will die with our arms unbound. This is why, this is why. Come to me